So we're continuing our Easter tide shift away from uh, Luke's gospel, like we talked about before, uh, and focusing instead on the book of John and doing it, as I said last week, because of these great long discourses it contains directly from the lips of our Lord. Uh, discourses that would have become even more precious to his disciples, uh, trying desperately to regain some kind of equilibrium after the tilt-a-whirl of emotions they'd just ridden uh, all the way from the anguish of Good Friday uh, through the joy of Resurrection Sunday and then back around again to this kind of uncertainty of the seemingly endless wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, and so to pass the time and to, uh, to help allay their anxieties, they would have reminisced over the preceding three years that they had with the Master, uh, trying to remember everything that he taught them and, and all the miracles that they'd seen him perform, and maybe most importantly of all, to recollect all the great and precious promises that he'd left behind uh, and today's reading definitely fits that mold. And so I hope you have your Bibles with you. Uh, again, I know it's on the screen, but it's super important that you see it in your Bible in front of you so you can take it home with you and look at it again and think at it again, uh, over it again and uh, pray about it again. And so we're going to be reading in the Gospel of John. I'm going to be reading chapter 14 from verses 18 to 31. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the true and living God. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so the world may know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray together. Father God, every time... Uh, your word is proclaimed, uh, it changes everything within its hearing. For some, it provides uh, growth and peace. Uh, for rebels, it adds calluses to their hearts. But uh, come now, we ask by your Holy Spirit, because you promised us that when your word goes forward, that it won't return to you in vain. And we ask you, Father, to 
Open our hearts and eyes and minds now to receive all that you have for us. And we ask it in the name of your Son. Amen. So the, the discourse that I just read to you uh, was spoken by our Lord in the upper room on the Thursday night of Passion Week. If you remember, Jesus is, is eating the Passover meal with his disciples. He's sharing his final moments and his last instructions with them. Uh, don't forget, Jesus knew he was going to be crucified the next day. And he told them that he would have to leave them soon. And so naturally, the disciples, for their part, they're heartbroken and anxious about the thought of being separated from the teacher and friend that they'd left everything uh, to follow over the prior three years. And their minds must have just been filled with questions like, why'd the master have to leave now? Uh, why couldn't he stay just a little longer? Uh, teach us just a little bit more. Build up our faith just a little stronger before he has to go. And maybe most pressing of all, if he's going to go, what in the world is going to become of us after he's gone? Uh, and it's evident this whole scene made a deep and uh, lasting impression on the minds of the disciples. And especially, I suppose, uh, on the mind of, of the Apostle John, his beloved disciple, who had just been leaning against Jesus at dinner when in the midst of all of their solemn conversation, Jesus says to them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Uh, not as the world gives do I give to you, so let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Uh, as much as if to say, you know, fellas, there are some really dark days ahead. Uh, days that will rock your peace and push your faith to its outer limits. But those evil days don't have the upper hand. I do. And I want you to know, Jesus says, and I want the world to know that it's betrayal and that it's denial and it's demonic tortures, even all the way up to and including the anguish of the cross, are not the final word because the last word belongs to God the Father and I belong to him and so do you. And he says, and now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. And the point of the prediction is to make clear who's in charge, right? It's not Satan. It isn't Pilate. It's not Herod or the Jews. Uh, it's not the soldiers. And Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me. I give it and I will take it back again. So trust me. Have faith. Be at peace. And church, that message is just as much for you and me today as it was for the apostles. Just like Jesus' high priestly prayer that we looked at last week was equally for them and for us as individuals and as members of the family of faith. Uh, it's why the Bible says in Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. It's just the trouble of getting a hold of that kind of peace on a constant daily basis isn't easy, is it? Uh, because it's so easily stolen away from us. It only takes a simple glance at the, the war and the unrest in the international news. And, and just like that, it's gone. Right. Maybe a nagging uh, thought about the mounting uncertainty of life here at home in the ruins of the American economy and the uh, mounting prospect of dearly held ideals and institutions being shaken to their foundations. And we go into panic mode. Just a simple phone call from a doctor's office. Or a chance encounter with a difficult person can take a day uh, otherwise maybe peaceful and turn it into turmoil. And so if there's one thing we as individuals in our world in general is crying out for right now, that's peace. 
But what we have to ask ourselves is what exactly did Jesus mean when he said he left us his peace? And what should our lives look like if we have it? And maybe most importantly of all, how can we find it in the midst of all the chaos that we find ourselves in? And there's, there's a bunch of different scriptures that we could, could go to that mention the kind of peace that Jesus promises to us as his legacy. Um, a different kind of peace that, as Jesus says, the world can't give us, but the kind that only God can give. And as I said, there's a bunch of them, but there are four particular characteristics of that peace that I really want to zero in on from scripture. And the first I just kind of hinted at, uh, and that's the fact that God's peace is different. You know, if you think about it for us, humanly speaking, when we think of peace, it's circumstantial, right? You know, when our circumstances align and everything's going our way and the, the birds are singing and the, the sun is shining and our, our refrigerators and bank accounts are, are fully stocked, right? We're at peace. But church, that's not how God's peace works. Uh, the peace of God does not come upon us because there's no problems. That'd be a pretty lame idea of peace, right? Why would we even need it? Because the peace would provide itself. It's the kind of peace that Jesus says the world gives. But brothers and sisters, you only have to live in this world for about 10 minutes to realize how fragile and how tenuous that kind of peace actually is. But by contrast, God's peace comes when worldly circumstances are so at odds that it would make peace seem almost impossible. But that's exactly when we need it the most, right? And that's what makes God's peace different. It exists in the midst of chaos and in spite of it. We could maybe even say in defiance of it. Because church is not passive, it's volitional. So that's the second element. God's peace is a choice. You know, if you noticed, Jesus said today, don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. That, that little three-letter word, let implies that there's an obstacle between God's peace and our ability to experience it in church. That obstacle is us. Because uh, I know for myself, uh, too many times I choose to wallow in fear and in, you know, like the little what if section you have in your imagination. Like what if this, what if that, right? R rather than on the character and the promises of God. And if you're not careful, you can kind of feast on all of those doubts and all of those lies until you can't recognize the difference. I, I heard a pastor give an illustration along those lines. He said it's almost like uh, when people have unwelcome house guests, Right? The first mistake you do is open the door. Uh, the second one is to invite them in against all better judgment. Uh, and then to make them comfortable and give them refreshments, all the while wondering why in the world they just won't leave. But it's the same with our fears and our lies uh, that steal our peace. So, you know, first we hear them knock, right? We hear those fears knock and we open the door because we're curious. Like, you know, what, what's that about? What would that mean? And besides, what could it hurt just to find out, right? Just to take a peek. And then the next step is you move beyond your initial curiosity and you go ahead and invite them in, meaning now they're more than a passing thought and we're intentionally making room for them and ruminating on them and letting them take up space in our heads and take up space in our hearts uh, till we end up getting really comfortable and familiar with their presence and we make them easy uh, to stay in our minds. And to really settle into regular patterns of anxiety and of upset, uh, followed by anger and regret for having done that, which in turn feeds and gives comfort to the enemy of our souls until there isn't room for much of anything else. Now, don't mishear me, not meaning, not meaning that we lose our salvation or the blessings of our election. 
but we sure can lose the present tense experience of it, right? Amen, somebody. Uh, and we sure can lose that inner peace that that ought to bring. And it all starts with a choice. But that's actually a good thing because through the power given to us by Christ and his Holy Spirit, we can also choose to choose his peace. And it starts with intentionally turning away from fears and lies and choosing instead to saturate ourselves with God's presence and with his truth instead. It's why Philippians 4 reiterates it this way. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. And why is that? Well, it's because thirdly, God's peace is our defense. And I know it almost sounds like a contradiction to put the word peace and defense in the same sentence, but that's exactly what God's peace is. It, it, what I was thinking about is it's almost like a, a sanctified version of that old Ronald Reagan doctrine, peace through strength. You guys remember Ronald Reagan, right? Better than I do, I'm sure. Uh, but, but, you know, but think about it, right? right in, the, in the past, you know, our military has kept foreign invaders from our shores, and we've taken the fight to their shores. And so some Americans have taken for granted that peace at home here is just the natural state of things, but it's not. As a nation, we have to always understand how much our military protects everything that we care about, from our family's safety to their ability to have dreams for the future, almost everything that we love about our American way of life. And that being ambivalent about the state of our military is being ambivalent about our peace and security here at home. Well, church, the same is true with our connection to God's peace. Because unlike our salvation and unlike our justification, it's not automatic. God's peace is not just a given. You need to set yourself up for it with intentionality. And conversely, a harder mind left unguarded is going to wallow in fears and anxieties, attempting to carry burdens and to battle things that we don't have any business handling on our own. That's why Isaiah 26.3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is what? Yeah, it doesn't say whose mind is worrying about everything, right? Whose mind has stayed on you. Um, except the disciples didn't exactly follow that advice, did they? I mean, oh, they, they thought they would. But the proof is in the pudding, or, or in the peace, I guess we should say. Because uh, what, remember what happened next on that same night? The night that Jesus left us his peace? Matthew 26 fills in that part. In verse 30, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Down to verse 47. While they were still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. And they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. 
Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think I cannot appeal to my father and he will act at once to send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scripture be fulfilled that it must be so? Down to verse 56. But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled, and then all the disciples left him and fled. And you might be thinking, Pastor, that maybe wasn't the best illustration to demonstrate the power of God's peace. Because uh, you're telling us now that all Jesus' men turned tail and ran on the same night he promised to give it to them. Because uh, they sure don't, didn't show it, did they? But here's what I'm getting at. Honestly, I'm really glad it happened that way. And I'll tell you why. I'm glad we have the real story of their very real fears and their very real emotional responses because it means there's hope for me. Uh, it, it means when I lose my peace and when I lose my patience and I don't necessarily feel all that calm and tranquil about everything that's going on around me uh, and everything that's going on in the world, it's not the end of the world because God's still got it covered. And so even in the chaos of my lack of felt inner peace, there's still the capacity for it in knowing the sovereignty of God and that God is still in control of everything. And I want to give you a quick illustration. I want you to think, just do a thought experiment with me. Think about it like this. Have you ever thought about what would happen if Jesus' disciples hadn't scattered that night he was arrested? If they hadn't temporarily lost hold of their peace? What, you know, what if they had been as brave as they said they were? What if they had done more than talk the talk? What if they had walked the walk? Well, at the very least, they would have all been put to death at the same time Jesus was. But think about what that would have meant. For starters, had the Apostle John died on Friday night, he wouldn't have uh, been around to give us the great first-hand account of Jesus' words that we've been studying. And he wouldn't have been later exiled to the Isle of Patmos and received the vision from the Lord that's recorded for us in the book of Revelation. Had Peter died on Good Friday, he uh, would not have preached his sermon on the day of Pentecost when some 3,000 people accepted Christ as their Savior after hearing his testimony. Dr. Luke, who we've been following all year, uh, wouldn't have had too much to write about when he wrote the book of Acts because uh, there wouldn't have been too many eyewitnesses around for him to interview. And had uh, the other disciples, had they all died on Good Friday along with Jesus, none of them would have been alive to carry the gospel to the known world. And the early church would have certainly looked very, very different. And you might say, well, you know, God would have just found another way to establish his church and accomplish his plans. After all, he's God, right? And while it is true that all things are possible with God, to say that he would have found another way implies that God might need a backup plan. A plan B, if you will. But church, my answer to that is God does not have a backup plan because God does not need a backup plan. Uh, and brothers and sisters, that should give you a huge sense of peace in this world, even when everything around you looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket. Because, don't forget, Jesus knew ahead of time that when the moment of truth came that his disciples would be weak. He knew they'd fail. He knew they'd scatter. He knew that Peter would deny him three times, yet had they not been weak, had they not failed Jesus on the night of his arrest, they would not have gone on to become the evangelists and world changers that they became. But church, only God's sovereignty can bring all that together. Okay? Only God can turn our weakness into strength. Uh, only God can use our failures to accomplish his purposes. Amen. Only God can take the chaos around us and use it to teach us to hold on.
to his peace. Uh, and is it always going to be easy? Uh, no. That's the lie of the health and wealth gospel. Because the truth is, no great lesson is ever easy. And no, we won't do things perfectly all of the time. But church, we are called to fight the good fight of faith. We are commanded to seek peace and pursue it. Um, I got to tell you, it's not just going to drop in your lap. Uh, if that's what some of you have been waiting for, uh, this is your wake-up call. Uh, God's peace is not automatic. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, uh, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you've got to get into the water. If you want joy and power and peace and eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. And church, the thing that has them is having a real walking, working relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one that's based on the ebb and flow of emotions. Not one that's determined on the winds of circumstance, but one of peace for your spirit when you commit your anxieties and your fears and your worries to him. So church, go out this weekend. Don't be afraid. Uh, Hold on to Christ's peace even when you're tempted not to. Live like you know he's got a plan even if you don't see it. Absolutely refuse to panic if you stumble and ask the Lord to lift you up again. And finally, remember, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God in the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much that your son left us peace. Lord, we know in this crazy world it's hard to hold on to it, but we thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you for your gift of salvation. And so, Lord, let us take those things into this week and walk in them and trust in them and live like we really believe them. Uh, And we know, Lord, that that peace will follow. And so, Father, I ask also if there's any uh, anyone, even one here now that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would reach out to them and surprise them by the power of your presence. We know, Lord, that you alone can open hearts. You alone can unstop ears and Uh, make hearts of flesh out of hearts of stone. And so we trust in you, Father, uh, as your word goes forward, that you will accomplish all that you purpose to with it today. And we ask and thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.